Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Enger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, we bring you part two of our series on safe and effective home repair. And our experts are experienced home repair and woodworking enthusiast, Gil Johnson, and Hadley learning expert, Jennifer Ottowitz. Welcome back. Hi. Hello there. I'm, I'm ready for part two. Uh, so if you haven't listened to part one, which gives some really great general tips, you should definitely go back and do that and uh, learn a little about who Gil and Jennifer are. But if you're just coming to us now, uh, why don't we get a little introduction from both of you, just so listeners know a bit about who you are and what you do. Hi, everybody. I'm Jennifer, and I'm a senior learning expert with Hadley. I've been an instructor here since 2013, and I also have a background as a certified vision rehabilitation therapist, working with adults who are losing or have lost their vision. I'm Gil Johnson. I am retired now. I had worked for 44 years as a rehab counselor and then supervisor and manager and director and when I wasn't doing that, I've had a wood shop, woodworking shop, ever since I was about 12 years old. And that's really been one of my side uh, efforts. Well, I got a sneak peek of uh, what we're going to talk about on the episode today, and I'm super excited. So uh, rather than listening to me ramble on, let's uh, throw to Jennifer and Gil and let you guys get started. Well, Gil, we're going to talk today about using hand tools. But before we get started, would you mind sharing briefly a few tips and, and reminders about some things we talked about in our first podcast uh, that are really important, no matter what type of home repair or project or task you're working on. And those would be things like safety, organization, and making use of all of your senses. I believe so strongly that blind or visually impaired people can do pretty much anything that they want to do. Sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need help, particularly for people who are relatively newly visually impaired. That This may seem like something that's not possible. That is working with tools and making repairs and doing electrical work and things like that. But I can assure you that it is totally possible and with relatively few adaptations that need to be made. One important thing is for everyone, think about safety. And there's some tips on safety that, that I think are essential. Keeping a workshop or a work area organized so that uh, things aren't laying around, there aren't things on the floor to trip over, things of that sort very, very important. Planning ahead, uh, having the tools that you, you will need to do the task is, is always a good step to take. Using, if you have, if you're totally blind, using every sense that you can, hearing, smell, touch, and if you have some remaining vision, of course, using those senses, hearing, touch, smell, and as well as the remaining vision that you have. But again, keeping in mind safety, you don't want to get your nose too close to something that might bite you. So using magnifying glasses and things of that sort is totally possible and can enhance what, what you're doing. Let's jump into the meat of 
our podcast today and talk about some hand tools. I know you've got a lot of experience and examples, and we'll probably just hit the tip of the iceberg with all of these. But we'll go ahead and get started. And I want to ask, can you share any tips and examples for using screwdrivers? What's important is to get you know the right size screwdriver and get one that have one that fits your hand well. You want to be sure that you, if you're going to place it on a screw, that you, I always use one hand. Um, I happen to be right-handed, so I use my left hand to guide the screwdriver uh, onto the bolt or nut, uh, bolt or screw head. I will tell you, there's nothing more gratifying than being able to tighten up a loose knob or handle. So a screwdriver is is it's really satisfying to be able to use that around the house. Let, let's talk next about using a hammer. And I know sometimes there can be a little bit of fear, sometimes even a little bit of pain involved if you accidentally hit your finger. But some people may also be a little concerned about making sure they're driving the nail in straight. So what are some suggestions that you have for safely hammering a nail? Practice, I guess, to start with. Get a piece of scrap wood. If you haven't done much hammering before, get a piece of scrap wood. And uh, you can tell pretty much if the nail is straight up and down vertical with the wood just by feeling. If you place your hand, the edge of your hand on the board, and the nail then between your thumb and your forefinger, you could get a pretty good idea if it's straight up and down. And then to start driving it, of course, you want to have the right size hammer. If it's a small nail, what they call a tack hammer uh, is uh, usually what people use. Uh, if it's a larger nail than a 16-ounce hammer, is is usually what you would use. With starting a nail, I, I always position it, try to get it straight up and down if, if that's what I want, and then tap it a little bit at the top, trying to hit with the nail with the hammer head flat to the nail head so you're not hitting it at, a, at an angle. And I don't, I never start by hitting it hard. I tap it a little bit until it stays in place. If you are balanced, that is, if you're standing comfortably and you're above the work, then your posture is good. And the hammer will go back to the same place every time, every swing. And as long as the hammer goes where you want it to, that is straight down, you can drive nails in very safely and relatively quickly. I'm not as fast at driving nails in as some people. Some people will take a long nail and three strokes of a hammer and they've got it in. I'm not that good at it. Um, as long as you get the nail in and it goes where you want it to go. It, it does take some practice. If you've been working in a shop, working on a project for a while and you find that you're uh, getting a little fatigued, that's the time to stop because that's when accidents happen. And particularly with a hammer, accidents mean you get a bruised finger. 
And I think accuracy is definitely more important than speed. So taking your time, very important. I, I just had a question. Whenever you're first holding the nail, do you recommend holding it near the head or near the base of the, the nail? I try to go in the middle. When I'm driving a nail, I try to anchor my hand, the edge of my hand on the work surface so that it's not just flopping around there. And then my, the, the, my fingers hold the nail and everything is it, it's pretty stable. Are there any special tricks for using wrenches or pliers that you use? Not especially, except getting the right wrench for the task. Now, there's, there's a, a whole range variety of different kinds of wrenches. There's what they call box end wrenches that come in different sizes, all the way from very little up to well over, well over an inch. That is, that's, they'll take that size of a bolt. And of course, the, the bigger the wrench, the longer the handle is. So there's those with a box end. One end is a, a circle that can go down over what they call a hex head. Hex meaning six-sided, of course. And the notches in the end of the wrench engage with the, with the bolt head and uh, it, it's very secure. The other end is the open end, and it just slides onto the, the head of the bolt. It doesn't encircle it. So that's one set of wrenches to, to have. A lot of people use what they call a crescent wrench or an adjustable wrench, and these come in different lengths, four, six, eight, 10, 12 inch lengths. And of course, the bigger the, the wrench, the bigger the bolt it will, will handle. And the advantage of that is that you, of using a, an adjustable wrench, is that you can adjust it to different size nut, nut heads and bolt heads. So you can use one wrench for a particular task. Pliers can be used. Pliers are just, uh, they, that they have two jaws and uh, the, the workpiece goes between the jaws and you s squeeze the handles and that presses the jaws down onto the, the bolt or the nut, whatever you're working on. But if you're wanting to tighten up something really good, pliers are, they can slip. So it really is selecting the right tool for what you're needing to do. If it's something relatively easy, pliers can be fine. Uh, crescent wrench can be fine. There's one other wrench that, that sometimes is, is useful. It's called a vice grip. And it, a vice grip is like a pliers, except that you can, uh, if you adjust it just right, you can lock it on, you can squeeze the handles and lock it onto the head of the bolt or the nut. Or, or whatever you're working on, and it has a very secure grip. And there's times when, uh, when using a vice grip is very useful. I remember many, many years ago when I was growing up, we had a black and white television set, and this was before the days of remote control when TVs actually had knobs, and one of the knobs had fallen off, and so the only way we could turn the channel was to use pliers <laughs> to turn the stem, <laughs> so, and, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right.
<laughs> well, well, you know, when it comes to plumbing issues, are there any tips or anything special about using plungers or snakes? It's a good idea to wear gloves because if you are sticking a plunger or a snake, particularly, a snake is nothing more than coiled wire that, that, that is usually about three-eighths of an inch in diameter. It's flexible. And so if you're trying to unstop a toilet or a sink, it'll go around corners when you, when you push it in. Some, some of these have a uh, device so that you can turn it round and round and round. And that's good for getting through a stopped up area and for making the snake go around the corner. A plunger pretty much has one purpose, and that's pretty much with a toilet, if it's stopped up, you position it just so that it forces the, the contents of the toilet bowl down. If there's a stoppage, sometimes it'll break it loose, just the force of the plunger on the on the uh, liquid in in the bowl will force that through. Obviously, gloves do uh, hinder your ta your your touch sense of touch, and so sometimes the the kind of gloves that are are good to use for something like that are like what uh, a surgeon or a nurse would use because they're very thin. They're usually pretty strong, but your hand, you can feel pretty much what you're touching through the, the thin wall of the glove, and yet it still protects your hands. So, Gil, it sounds like with a lot of the tools that you've mentioned, kind of using that sense of touch, no matter what your level of vision, is really important. So, And I love the tip about the thinner gloves, too. Gil, I wanted to talk about a couple of tasks that are common to a lot of home repair and woodworking and other projects. Um, the first one is measuring. And whether you're trying to measure the available space that you have to see if something will fit before you actually move it there, or you need to measure the dimensions of something, or you're trying to cut pieces of wood or something else, a particular size. You know, the famous saying is measure twice, cut once. But what are some adaptations if you have trouble seeing the tape measure or the yardstick or the ruler? Measuring as accurately as you can is really an, an important thing to be able to do. And there's some very simple ways that you can get a, an approximate measure. and Actually, I've written a guide that describes that. One very simple way is that if you want to have something about an inch, you want to know about how much is an inch. An inch is about the distance from your first knuckle to the end of your finger. It give or take a little. And, you know, if a person has a smaller hand, then it's less than an inch. And if a person has a bigger hand, it's more. But that's, it's, it's an approximation. Four inches is roughly the distance across the hand from one, you know, from your little finger to your pointer. 18 inches is roughly the distance from your elbow to your fingertips. And, you know, that can give you some approximation. If you need 
more accuracy than that, then there's some fairly simple ways to do that. Most hardware stores or home centers have uh, wooden one-foot rulers or a, a three-foot ruler, a yardstick, they call it. And they're cheap. And some of the markings are fairly visible. And somebody with low vision perhaps can, can read that. But the thing you can do is, since they are wood, you can take a file or get someone to take a file and notch, make notches what I've seen done is on one edge, notch it at a half an inch, an inch and a half, two and a half, three and a half, like that. On the other edge, notch it at one inch, two inch, three inch, four inches. Then you have, uh, it's still not as precise as you might want it, but it gives you a pretty good way of measuring, measuring things. And w with you know, relatively little expense involved. Another technique that you can use, there is a, a tape measure, it's called. It's inside of a case, a metal case, and it can pull it out. And there's a locking device, so you can measure, you can, if you want to measure, say, the length of a doorway, pull the, the tape out of the case to the width that you're measuring, and lock it in place. And then if you have residual vision and can get it where there's light, you, you, can, you can get close enough then to the tape measure itself and read what it is. Or, you know, you can get a family member to tell you what, what, the, what the measurement is. There's two other tools that are adapted specifically for blind and visually impaired people. One is called the click rule, and the other is there's a talking tape measure. A click rule, you can measure down within a sixteenth of an inch using, using that. Frankly, the click rule is the only adapted tool I have in my shop. Everything else is standard that you buy at a hardware store or a home center. But the click rule is a special device. I use the click rule every day I go out to the shop. Leveling is another, it's a kind of measurement. That is, if you want to hang a picture or you want something that is level, you want to make sure it's level. There's different ways of doing that. There are audible levels that some of us use if you want say, to lay out a, a fence, you want a fence post to be straight up and down, if you're installing that or if you're hanging a door and you want it uh, to be hanging right, there are audible levels that are very good. They're a little pricey, but they're good tools. There's other ways of leveling things as well. Of course, if you're hanging a picture, you can simply measure from the floor up to where the picture hanger would be if it only has one hanger if that's all it needs then you can position it where you want and hang the picture and you can kind of tell pretty closely just by running your hand along the top frame of the picture if it seems level or if it seems to be slanting one way or the other 
and you can adjust that just by moving the picture. If it happens to have two hangers, that's where if you measure up from the floor, say five feet or something where the hangers should be, if both hangers are at five feet, you're going to be pretty sure that it's going to be level. So there's there's ways of doing that. One trick that a lot of people laugh at, but it, it works, if you have a picture and uh, it's only hung on one bracket. One way to do that is to lay a marble along the top frame of the picture. And if the marble rolls, it probably tells you, oh, it's slanting a little bit to the left or to the right. And you can adjust it. And when the marble doesn't want to roll anymore, you probably have it pretty level. So it, that's a, it's kind of a funny thing to use, but it, it, it does work. And I told Gil, I was one of the people that laughed at that because my question was, how, how, how long would it take me to find the marble if it dropped onto the floor? But it, it's easy to find. If you, you may have to get on your hands and knees, but you can find it. And it's a really great way to tell if something's level. If you're like me, I might get pictures off kilter just by dusting them. So making sure you even check after you do something like dust is a really great thing. And you can use your sense of touch for that in addition to um, your, your remaining vision. So. Gil, these are some really wonderful tips. Like I said, I know we just kind of touched the tip of the iceberg with them. I don't know if you want to share any other resources, Gil, before we wrap it all up. Well, just, just two things I would say. One is that I've written guides for eight or nine different home repair projects, all the way from uh, installing a light switch and repairing or, or an outlet, electrical outlet to unplugging soft drains, to installing a ceiling fan. So there's eight or nine of those. So, and those are step-by-step -step guides. The other thing I would, would say is if any of you have questions that uh, about doing something around the house that you think uh, we might be able to help with, if you send that question to, to Jennifer at, at Hadley, then she'll forward it on to me and I'll do my best to, to respond to it. So if you do have any questions for Gil, you can reach him through me at uh, my email address, which is jennifer at hadley.edu. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate, especially the tips on measuring. That's one thing I'm particularly bad at. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up so I can go practice measuring things in my house. And uh, I look forward to you guys joining us for the next podcast on home repair and woodworking. Thanks for listening. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening.